Welcome back to CORIEM, the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue Emergency Medicine Residency Program. I'm Brian Gaberti, and I'm here with Bree C. So, I don't know about you, Brian, but since our measles episode, I've been seeing a lot more rashes in the ED. Our amazing triage teams have been isolating patients as soon as they hit the door if their complaint includes fever plus rash, or even just rash plus particular Brooklyn zip code. Yeah, with now over 700 cases of measles this year across the country, it has changed how we approach the patient with the chief complaint of rash. Well, last week, I was called to an airborne isolation room to see a young Brooklynite woman who had a rash on her face and trunk. After putting on my N95 mask and ruling out her risk factors for measles, I learned that she'd been treated three days ago for a UTI with Bactrim. She had a diffuse morbilliform rash with no other symptoms. So just a classic Bactrim-induced exanthem, right? No big deal. Stop the offending agent and give Benadryl. Instruct the patient to follow PCP and return precautions. Done. Yeah, but a little warning bell went off in the back of my head when I heard UTI plus Bactrim plus rash. Yeah, rash with dysuria should raise concern for associated urethritis in a process that is more than just your garden variety drug-induced exanthem. And in fact, will be present in a majority of patients with Stevens-Johnson syndrome. Exactly. So I thought today we could review Stevens-Johnson syndrome because we see it so rarely, but it's important that we have it on our radars and are able to diagnose it early. Of course, and to nerd out at that step one level, SJS is a mucocutaneous reaction caused by type 4 hypersensitivity. And what that means is that cytotoxic T lymphocytes apoptose keratinocytes, leading to the classic blistering, bullet formation, and sloughing of detached skin. Yep. Remember that SJS is on a disease spectrum with 10, aka toxic epidermal necrolysis. When less than 10% of total body surface area has epidermal detachment, that's SJS. And when greater than 30% is affected, that's TEN. Between 10 to 30% is called, you guessed it, SJS 10 overlap. Aubrey, I know you're all about mnemonics and recall tricks. What do you have for this one? Well, toxic is a whole lot worse than just being Stevens. So 10 is farther along on the spectrum. Okay, that's respectable. SGS is incredibly rare, with the incidence estimated to be around 9 in 1 million in the U.S. So why do we care? Because the mortality is crazy. 10% for SJS and 30 to 50% for 10, largely due to sepsis and N-organ dysfunction. Yeah, staggering numbers for this wolf among sheep of rashes. So let's review the common precipitants and risk factors for SJS. Something that surprises me is that SJS can occur even without a precipitating medication. An infection can set it off, especially in patients with risk factors including HIV, lupus, underlying malignancy, and genetic factors. That's right. There are over 100 different drugs that have been associated with SJS, but I like to remember Satan, S-A-T-A-N, for the most common ones. Sulfa, allopurinol, tetracyclines, anticonvulsants, and NSAIDs. The antiepileptics include carbamazepine, lamictal, phenobarb, and phenytoin. And beyond the common culprits that can lead to this, we should talk about the, at times, deceptive course of this disease. The hypersensitivity reaction can develop while a patient is taking the medication or even one to four weeks after the exposure. And in kids, mycoplasma pneumonia and herpes simplex have been identified as precipitating infections. Got it. 
One of the reasons I ultimately didn't suspect SJS in my patient was because she literally had the rash and no other symptoms. While a rash can be the sole presentation, patients often have a prodrome one to three days prior to the skin lesions appearing. They may complain of fever, myalgias, headaches, URI symptoms, and malaise. Okay, so while they may have the prodromal symptoms, the rash is what really clues us in to SJS. It often starts as a dark purple or erythematous lesions with purpuric centers that progress to bullae. Another important characteristic of the rash is that the skin surrounding the lesions detaches from the dermis with just light pressure, and we see this classic Nikolsky sign. Often patients will describe a tenderness, a burning sensation, or paresthesias. And you obviously want to do a very thorough skin exam to look for bullae or blisters. Check out the show notes for pictures of what we just described. As SJS progresses, a hallmark is that it tends to affect the mucosal surfaces. So you absolutely want to ask questions to suss this out. I don't think patients will say, I think I have a rash inside my rectum, but rather you have to ask about specific symptoms to get a mucosal involvement. And also ask about burning or itching, a cough or sore throat, pain with eating, pain with urinating or defecating, or any other symptom that can result from lesions in the oral, genital, anal, nasal, or conjunctival areas. With SJS, up to 95% of patients will have mucous membrane lesions, and around 85% or so will have conjunctival lesions. These are often erythematous, tender erosions that can cause discomfort and or pain. Okay, Brie. And when you see these signs, what else is on your differential? Well, my differential would include staph scalded skin syndrome, autoimmune bullous diseases, bullous fixed drug eruption, erythema multiform, thermal burns, phototoxic reactions, and TSS. But SJS and 10 must be on the differential because of the high morbidity and mortality. Okay, so we have a patient with a concerning story, some dysuria, painful lesions in her mouth, and her skin is peeling off everywhere. What do we do next? (laughs) Well, I don't think it'll ever be that easy, but let's say it is in this case. SJS is a clinical diagnosis, but I'd order a CBC, chemistry panel, LFTs, and a UA. I'd throw in some cultures as well. The mainstay of treatment is supportive care, especially focusing on ABCs and IV fluid repletion. If the mucosa of the respiratory tract is involved, consider early airway control. And try your best to identify, then stop the offending agent. Right. If a significant amount of body surface area is involved, especially in the TEN range, we often think of these patients as burn victims. And what I mean by that is that they require precise IV fluid repletion guided by total body surface area affected, as well as electrolyte, protein, and energy supplementation. They need advanced wound care and pain control. Well, they often also require consults, including derm to do a biopsy, ophthalmology, and gynecology to prevent strictors or contractures. There are also adjunct therapies of debatable efficacy such as IVIG, cyclosporin, and plasmapheresis, but these are usually not a part of the traditional core therapy. In the ED, we should be focusing more on making the diagnosis and providing supportive care. Those controversial therapies can be considered as inpatient. Speaking of which, where would you dispo these patients, Brian? Well, I think we have a low threshold to admit them to the ICU because they require such judicious monitoring and care. There's a decision tool called Scorton with a possible max score of seven points. You get one point for each of the following, age over 40, current cancer, over 30% body surface area affected, heart rate over 120, BUN over 28, glucose over 240, and bicarb less than 20. 
Anyone with a score of two points or higher should go to the ICU. And these criteria will be listed in the show notes. I think even if they have a low score 10 score, but we suspect SJS, it would be totally reasonable to at least get a critical care consult because of how dangerous it is. Yes, agreed. And I'd also consider transferring them to a burden center. Great tip. So back to my patient. After carefully examining your mucosa, doing a UA, and not seeing any bullae or blistering, I didn't think it was SJS. However, I told her to stop the Bactrim and follow up closely with her PCP, as well as to return for any worsening of the rash or development of any mucosal symptoms as we mentioned before. Right on, Brie. Now let's review with some take-home points. Sounds good. One, SJS may begin like the flu, with lesions appearing one to three days after the prodrome starts. Two, we have to have a high suspicion for SJS because it is deadly. It's a clinical diagnosis. Derm biopsy is supportive. Three, a thorough history and physical exam are key. Remember the characteristic rash and bullae, and always look in the mouth and eyes. Ask about dysuria, sore throat, and eye irritation, as well as preceding medications or infections. Think Satan. Four, prompt supportive care focused on ABCs and IV fluid repletion are critical. These patients can get sick really fast, so consider an ICU or burn unit. Well, that's all for this episode. Continue to follow us on Twitter at core underscore EM and visit us on our website, coreem.net. Until the next one, this is Brian Bryant, signing off.